Psalm 31. Uh, For the director of music, a, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. The second read is from Acts chapter 6. That's on page 775. We're going to read about Stephen. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15, and then continuing chapter 7, verse 51 onwards. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth would destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Uh, 7 verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he'd said this, he fell asleep. Let me also add my welcome. Uh, it's great for us to meet uh, a slightly higgledy-piggledy congregation, if we can put it that way, uh, an opportunity uh, for some of us who are regular here at church to meet those who go to other services. Even more exciting, it's an opportunity to meet people who aren't necessarily regular here. It's a great chance uh, to, to get to know other folk. Um, and if you are new or visiting, it's great that you've come and joined us this Boxing Day. Uh, I do hope that you've had a great day. And I encourage you to have open in front of you that reading that Paul brought us uh, from Acts. That's where we'll be looking this evening uh, on this Boxing Day. But how about a pray for us that God might speak to us clearly. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. Uh, we thank you for the way in which we've rejoiced in the gift of your Son uh, over the last few days. Uh, we thank you for the way that we've rejoiced in other gifts of yours, the, uh, the beautiful conditions, the, the food and the feasting, the, the, the friendship and the fellowship and the family. Uh, Father, thanks for your kindness. Uh, and we pray that you would give us soft hearts to hear now your word. Uh, speak to our spirits by your spirit. Uh, revive us and enthuse us about you and your goodness to us. Uh, help us live lives that please and honour you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How was your Boxing Day? How was it? Mostly good? Uh, yeah. Anyone better than that? Anyone? Right, okay, we're, we're about there. It's nice to know. Now, I suspect for some of us that the parties rolled on. We did more festivities. Anyone continue to party today? And seem, Yep, okay, we've got a few. Uh, for others, um, in front of the cricket, which would have been joy if you were English. Uh, for the rest of us, unfortunately, the transmission stopped <coughs> uh, about lunchtime. And don't talk to us about it. Uh, for a lot of us, though, it was a chance, wasn't it? We, we got all the gifts yesterday or, or the day before, and today is a chance on Boxing Day to work out, well, what are we going to do with them? Uh, you know, which are the presents that we'll actually, you know, open up and use beyond this week rather than kind of politely go, oh, thanks, um, and then look to re-gift at a later date. You know, there are different theories about the origin of uh, Boxing Day. Uh, some say that it was a, a day where leftovers were boxed up uh, and given as charity to the poor and needy. Uh, perhaps it would have been a good use of, of your leftovers. Uh, others say that... Uh, it was a time where, where boxed gifts were put out for faithful workers during the year. So, you know, you'd leave a box of goodies, an extra bonus treat for, for your butcher or your baker or if you live around here these days, your barista, and you give them an extra present uh, because they've done so well and served you. Of course, these days, uh, in our day and age, it's more likely that uh, we use Boxing Day to re-box those presents and, and work out which ones we take back to Meyer and which ones we take back to David Jones. And, and, and so that's our Boxing Day. And yet, of course, we know the real gift of, as we've been reminded tonight, the real gift of Christmas is the Lord Jesus. And we're hardly going to re-box him, are we? And we have been given the wonderful counsellor. We have the Prince of Peace. The mighty God has come amongst us. You know, we have Emmanuel. We have God become flesh. He has taken on our trials and pains and sufferings and sorrows. He has shared in it that he might save us from it. You know, we have the one who is the Saviour the one who will redeem us from our sins. We have Christ the Lord, 
That's all the kind of terminology we've been using over the last few days. God has, God has shown his favour to us that we might have peace. And we know that's a great gift. And we're certainly not going to return it. But this Boxing Day, I want us to think about what is it going to look like for us to take receipt of the Christmas gift. Now, God gave you his son. What are you going to do with that wonderful gift? Now, to help us answer that, we turn to the life and death of Stephen uh, in Acts 6 and 7. Uh, in other parts of the world, Boxing Day is known as St. Stephen's Day. Uh, in the Anglican prayer book, uh, his day, St. Stephen's Day, is subtitled Faithful to Death. Faithful to Death is his day. And it seems a beautiful summary of what it means to take to heart the Christmas gift. You know, God gave you his son. Will you be faithful with that gift? As we look at Acts tonight, as we look at Stephen tonight, uh, three points, three questions really. First, will you be faithful in action? Second, will you be faithful to God on his terms? And thirdly, will you be faithful till death? So first, will you be faithful in action? Uh, Stephen's life is characterised by, by faithfulness to Jesus in both word and deed. So in 6 verse 5, just before uh, Paul read to us, um, he's described as one full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Uh, in 6 8, where we picked up the reading, he is described as full of God's grace and power. Uh, full of there, in that, in, in that sense, is the idea of being under the control of, being, being completely consumed by. You know, you, you might refer to someone as being full of bitterness. You know, that is, they are just overwhelmed. Their whole character is covered by that kind of bitter. Well, he is full of God's grace, power, faith, and the Holy Spirit. He is gripped and consumed by God's goodness. Uh, and, the, and the influence of the Holy Spirit in his life uh, led to faithful action. Um, when we first meet him, he gets appointed as a, a deacon. That is a, a fancy word for a servant in 6.5. So the apostles had been teaching and preaching. So many people converted. Lots of issues as they get bigger and bigger. They have to put some you know, structure in because they found themselves so busy uh, caring for the needs of the poor that it was distracting them from being able to, to pray and teach the word. And they knew it wasn't right to neglect that work any more than it was right to neglect the needs, the physical needs of the poor. And so they appointed Stephen and six others to get on with that work. And Stephen excels. Uh, we read and hear how he did great wonders and signs. Yeah, his faithfulness to Christ meant doing good. Yeah, but not as an alternative to speaking about Christ. Uh, did you notice in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 6, uh, we see that his faithful life and faithful speech about Christ got him into all sorts of trouble. Now, so Stephen's uh, good works are impeachable and his spirit-filled wisdom and persuasive words mean that his enemies are forced in 6 verse 11 to start making up lies because they can't actually counter him. Yes, Stephen was commissioned to the care, the physical care of those in need, but he understood that, that faith in action is both works and words that honour Jesus. Isn't it a sad thing that uh, for many people and many Christian people that, that word and works have become an either-or choice? Now, Stephen, following Christ, saw that the two are inseparable, uh, which is, goes right back to the way God has always operated. Right back in creation, 
the word spoke and what was produced, the works that came from it were good. Word and works have always gone together to produce good in God's actions, in God's mind, in God's doing. And so it is with any under the influence of his Holy Spirit. Now, God gave you his son. Will you be faithful in action? Because that kind of faithfulness in action is an invitation to you to to combine word and works, as Stephen did. Uh, A friend uh, at another church uh, runs Stitchin Mission. It's a great sounding thing, isn't it? Let me tell you more. Uh, It's a quilting group that uh, (laughs) Dave signed up. Anyone else who wants to see about the new just started stitching mission, Dave's your man, catch him after church. Thanks, mate. Uh, It's a group that actually uh, gets together, they stitch quilts, handmade, and make sure they get passed on to those in need. Uh, At their church, um, they do it and produce them for uh, special needs children. But it isn't just for them works. Uh, One quilt maker said this about uh, the, the woman who started the concept over in the States who came out to start it here, a woman called Linda. She said... Linda began each session sharing the scriptures and leading us in prayer. She wasn't hesitant or cautious about the number of visitors present because those who came along weren't just Christian people. It was anyone who was actually interested in doing something good to help people. And it just struck me there's a really creative, um, in every sense of the word, a really creative way of combining word and works. Turning any passion they have for the good of others and to the glory of God. You know, the community lunches, are just one of the heartwarming examples at our church where that happens, isn't it? Uh, bi-monthly, hopefully in 2011 it'll be monthly. Uh, great meal is offered to those in our community. But it's more than just a food drop-off. If, if it was just about meeting people's need for food, we could just quickly whip around and drop food off to people in the community and go, oh, here's a meal, see ya. Uh, it's, it's a chance to have a chat. Uh, it satisfies a need deeper perhaps than that physical one, but a a desire people have to be listened to and cared for. And and as they're listened to and cared for, and as there's an opportunity for God's word to be spoken at the front and gently shared in conversation, we we see works and words just beautifully, creatively combined. That kind of faithfulness that understands the wonder of the gift of Christ. If we are to be faithful in action, Let's beware that separation from works and words. There's nothing sadder. Sometimes I hear uh, people tell me how a colleague at their work has discovered after you know, a year or two of them working together, oh, you're a Christian, are you? After they've relied so much on, oh, I've just been a good worker, surely they would have noticed. Well, no, they didn't. Or the sad flip side, uh, someone shared with me how at his workplace, there are some other Christians, but he's actually embarrassed by them because they're such bad workers. Uh, And their efforts to evangelise are actually cringeworthy because of that. If we're going to be faithful, we need to creatively combine the two, don't we? If you find you are strong in one, uh, you know, perhaps your, your connect group is really strong in the word, well, maybe look to a way to strengthen the other. You know, maybe your connect group needs to find ways to serve as a group together. Now, God gave you his son. This Boxing Day, this St. Stephen's Day, let's be faithful in action. Secondly, I want to ask you, will you be faithful to God on his terms? See, Stephen's faith in action uh, led to his trial and ultimately his murder. 
Essentially, I've cut out the, the lengthy part of the speech. Feel free to read it later on. Uh, essentially, his trial circles around faithfulness to God on his terms or on our terms. So Stephen is charged with blasphemy. That is, that he's been faithless to God. Uh, 7, verse 13 and 14. Uh, they produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now what's going on? Stephen is, is being charged for not being faithful to God. To not being faithful to God on terms of, of religious and legal customs. That is, he hasn't been faithful to God on their terms, on people's terms, on humans' terms. Uh, and Stephen's response isn't so much a defence and kind of go, oh, actually, no, no, I, I am, I'm really trying hard. No, no, he just counter-accuses. Uh, if you read through the speech, it doesn't feel like much of an, a defence as much an attack. Uh, they have been the ones who have been faithless. So he points out how there's a whole history. God's people have always rejected the way he revealed himself. Uh, so in 7 verse 9, he points out how Joseph, one of the earliest saviours of God's people uh, in the book of Genesis, Joseph was rejected by his jealous brothers. He was sold into slavery, but actually he was the way God was going to save. And he points out and goes on as he runs through the, the patriarchs, he moves on to Moses. Uh, he talks about how Moses, in, in 7 verse 35, he was rejected by the enslaved people of Israel. But again, he was God's chosen leader, God's chosen saviour to bring them to freedom. And even after they'd experienced that, and this is, this is perhaps the most hurtful point he brings home, even after they experienced being saved and delivered, what did they do to Moses in 39? 7.39, our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. What Stephen's saying is he's being accused of being faithless and he says, no, 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 your customs have never been grounded in obeying God. They've always been about you trying to fit God in on your terms. That's the history of God's people in, in throughout the Old Testament. And he drives the point home to his current audience in 752. Uh, the fathers killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one who you now murdered. And in fact, he says to them, your defense of even the temple, your whole temple worship structure system is just a blasphemous attempt to dictate to God and, and dictate terms to God. See, God has never been bound to a building. And so in 7 verse 40 and following, he recounts how, how God's history was traveling around with his people in different lands. He was in a temple before he was built. Uh, and even a temple couldn't contain God. 7 verse 48. Heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. So what's going on in that speech? Uh, Stephen is, is drawing a line in the sand. Uh, between whether we're faithful to God on God's own terms or whether we're faithful to God on the terms we like to make up. You know, that, that we try and squeeze God in to fit with us just like that Sanhedrin those people had. See, God has given you his son. Will you be faithful on his terms? If you're willing to do it, it means, it means being continually reformed by the word of God. So the problem with the, the Sanhedrin who tried Stephen wasn't that they hadn't heard God. Uh, in 751, 
It's that they had uncircumcised hearts and ears always resisting the Holy Spirit. Now to call someone uncircumcised, to call a Jewish person uncircumcised, to say, actually, you're just like those pagans over there. You have no knowledge of God. You have no hope in God. You have no relationship with God. That's how they listen to the word of God, is what Stephen's saying. You know, yeah, they, they heard God's word. They read God's word. It was handed down to them in 753. But they never received it with relationship. They always just tried to make God fit for them. Now, let's not be too smug. You know, idolatry is the, the default mode of all our hearts. That is, we're inclined to try and make God fit on our terms. Have you noticed that in the way that you read the Bible? Not all the time, but sometimes maybe, maybe it's just kind of creeping in. I know my temptation is to, to read the Bible uh, and spend the time on the clear parts. You know, just reread over those verses that you know well. Uh, spend time looking at them, which basically means I, I reconfirm what I already believed. You know, it says that, and if that's all I ever do, it means that the Word is not reforming me. Rather, I'm just delighting in the bits that fit with the kind of life I live. You know, the, the gold when we read the Bible is, is those hard and difficult parts, the bits we find uncomfortable, the bits that show up that perhaps we're a little hard-hearted. You know, they are gold because... In those moments, you know when you read the Bible and, and it doesn't say what you'd like it to say or it doesn't say what you expect it to say, that's when you discover my thinking about God is not right. And here's my chance to start relating to him on his terms rather than just mine. A great um, test I was taught years ago uh, was as you read the Bible, stop halfway through a verse. So you're, kind of, you know, you're reading down the page and just put a bit of paper or your finger over it, cover it, and just in your mind think, how would I finish that sentence? And then go and read on. Now, this is not about getting ticks for having a good memory. You kind of read through and go, ah, I got it perfectly right. Well done. I know John 3.16. No, no, it's, it's not about that. It's about an opportunity to expose where your thinking is different to God's because you read it and you, you try and finish the end of it and you suddenly just go, that's not what I expected. I, I would have used a different word there. Gets you thinking like God rather than dictating to God. Now God has given us his son. Will we be faithful with that? Will we receive him on his terms? Third error I want to ask about tonight is will we be faithful to death? So if you know anything about Stephen... The most striking feature of Stephen is not his life and not his speech, but his death. Uh, to be honest, I've read Acts 7 lots of times and I still have trouble remembering what he says in the speech uh, and the flow and where he goes with it, but I really remember his death. In 754, we see that this courtroom becomes a lynch mob. Uh, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, Stephen understood uh, receiving Christ is a call to be faithful and be faithful to death. Yeah, he understood what Jesus said in Mark 8 when Jesus called the crowd to him and along with his disciples he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself 
Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. They're remarkable words, aren't they? Yes, Stephen understood that. He comprehended that. And so he didn't just take it to heart. He actually copied Jesus in death. And there are all sorts of parallels you may have noticed between Stephen's death and Jesus' death. Uh, the, the charges of blasphemy against the law and against the temple were the same charges that were leveled against Jesus. You know, both of their trials were, were unjust in their outcomes and dependent on false witnesses. Uh, both of them were taken outside the city, city gates to be killed. Uh, hanging from the cross in Luke 23, uh, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And you can see the parallel, can't you, as we read from Acts 7. You know, as the stones and rocks belted into him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, hanging from the cross, what did Jesus pray? He prayed forgiveness for his murderers, for they didn't know what they were doing. And in Acts 7.60, Stephen fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen had been so reformed by the teaching of Christ. He'd been so impacted by the gift of Christ that he was wanting and willing to be faithful to death. He didn't simply die for Jesus. He lived and died like Jesus. You know, it's often said fairly trivially that a, that a pet's not just for Christmas, but for life. Anyone get a puppy this year? Right. I'm not a pet man. You know, but the idea behind that saying is that you know, if someone does give you that puppy, it's a lovely present, but it's not just for Christmas. It's got that ongoing expectation. You know, how much more if you receive Christ at Christmas? You know, if we took him seriously at his word, we'd realise that, that Christ is not a gift for Christmas. He is a gift until death. He is a gift for life. Three features of what that faithfulness might look like. Well, it will certainly mean that daily dying is normal for us as Christians if we've received Christ. You know, what, what Stephen did was, was extraordinary, but it was just the extraordinary end of what's a very ordinary Christian thing. You know, it's extraordinary in the sense that you know, not many of us here will face physical death for Christ. Though some may. Uh, the 20th century saw more martyrs for Jesus than all the preceding 19th centuries totaled up. Uh, in the past month, uh, Muslims in Pakistan burnt and beat an evangelist. Uh, a 17-year-old Somalian girl was shot for converting to Christ as an honour killing. Uh, and China have been cracking down even more on house churches and the leaders of them. Yeah, and that's just what made news in Australia. Now, not all will go to that extraordinary end like Stephen in imitating Christ to death in that way. But the ordinary Christian is called to daily dying. Uh, did you remember Jesus' words? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's not if anyone will come after me, you have to die instantly. You know, you have to go and get yourself martyred quickly. No, no, no. 
if you want to come after him, you deny yourself. You know, daily dying is normal for Christians. Uh, someone helpfully broke that down into to five S's. Uh, if you're not sure what it looks like to daily die, five S's. Submission, sacrifice, self-denial, suffering and service. Submission. You know, daily death means we submit. That is, we choose actively, we willingly choose to put others before ourselves. We neglect our own rights for others. We, we submit. We sacrifice. You know, we give in such a way that it hurts, that it goes beyond what's comfortable, it costs. We self-deny. That is, we've got those selfish impulses, we know what we'd like to do for it, but we just don't act on them. We suffer. Rather than doing the things that guarantee people will esteem us, we are willing to be mocked. We suffer. We serve. We do what helps others rather than ourselves. That's daily dying, following Christ, submission and sacrifice, self-denial, suffering and service. Now that, that's actually the normal daily dying of Christians. Now it's, it's got its own challenges, hasn't it? Uh, you know, for, for some of us here, we kind of go, it'd be really nice in some ways to have that opportunity to kind of do the tough martyrdom thing. You know, when for some of us, it, it's certainly true, you know, if it was that kind of confrontational opposition, some of us, we would kind of give up and run away. I don't know what I'd do, but, you know, some of us would run. Others would kind of be steeled. You know, that kind of in-your-face opposition will just make us stand even tougher against it. You know, the more people push, the stronger you resolve. I want to say that the challenge for us is not that in-your-face stuff, but it's the sneaky rearguard opposition. You know, as uh, C.S. Lewis said of the devil's schemes, why use adultery when golf will do? You know, why use the upfront confrontation that would steal you against it and you'd be ready to die for Christ over that one when you can just be lulled into comfort? You now, looking this week at Stephen uh, and the five S's of dying, I was... I was struck that so few notice if so few people would notice if I chose not to die daily. But the only one who counts would. I also realised how often I fail to die myself, and you know, praise be to God for the gift of Christ that deals with my failings and yours. You know, daily dying is normal. More than that, daily dying is good is good because it bears witness to a fuller life. So martyrdom, being willing to die, says that there is something greater than what is on offer here. That's exactly what Stephen is doing before the Sanhedrin. So in the face of these worldly authorities, these, these significant powers, then they're raging against him. You've got that little gnashing of their teeth, which kind of sounds a little comical, but it'd be scary at the time. Uh, you know, they are raging against him, but what does he do? He looks to the glory of Christ in heaven. You know, his certainty in the face of death, his, his willingness to die for his convictions about God, his, his ability to pray even while he's getting pelted with stones all testify that there is something bigger than this life. There is something bigger worth living for and dying for. And every time you daily die, you do the same thing. All your acts of self-denial are, are, are that kind of preliminary to martyrdom. And that's so different to the way our world thinks. Um, there's a school chaplain in Sydney who uh, was telling the story uh, to his students of Polycarp, um, who was a, a martyr from the second century. Uh, Polycarp was, was famously kind of called, you know, renounce Jesus or you die. 
And his response, you know, 86 years I've served him and he's done me no wrong. Shall I now revile my king that saved me? You know, he's threatened again, you know, you better recant or we will burn you. You're going to you know, face the fire. And Polycarp responded, uh, you frighten me with fire that burns for an hour and you forget the fire of hell that never burns out. And this chaplain was telling it to uh, his students because he thought, here is an inspirational story of courage. But the response he got from his students was actually, well, it surprised him. They thought Polycarp was an idiot. Now, they argued, you've only got one life. You should hold on to it. It's precious. What's he doing? And that's exactly what our faithfulness to death will do to the world. Our willingness to deny ourselves says there is something I value more. And that will challenge the world. Yeah, that's what Stephen was doing when he affirmed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Uh, it's what we affirm when we make decisions that aren't self-serving. Uh, most people attempt to you know, live to the standard equal to or, or greater than the one they grew up in. You know, so we, we move to suburbs like the one we grew up in or as close to the one we grew up in or preferably better than the one we grew up with. Sometimes we move to nice suburbs because of good gospel reasons. That's true. Sometimes we do it for selfish reasons. Uh, a family I, I know chose to leave the Upper North Shore for uh, a largely housing commission suburb in Western Sydney. It wasn't because they couldn't afford to live in the Upper North Shore, but they made a choice that they want to deny themselves and proclaim Christ in an area that had less churches. I'm not saying we all have to do that. Be very quiet Sunday next week if everyone ups and moves to Mount Druitt next week. But uh, their action is testifying that there is a fuller and greater life on offer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached, No one has yet believed in God and the kingdom of God. No one has yet heard about the realm of the resurrected and not been homesick from that hour, waiting and looking forward joyfully to being released from this bodily existence. Death is hell and cold and night if it is not transformed by our faith. That is just what is so marvellous, that we can transform death. And 12 years later, Bonhoeffer was martyred for Christ. And in his death, he said, there is something greater. The final way it will shape us we're willing to be faithful till death, is that we will face persecution ready to forgive. Just like Stephen, just like Christ. Martin Luther said that the, the mark of the true church was suffering. I want to be a little bit careful with that. Um, we're not going out seeking suffering. Uh, we seek Christ's honour, which might end up in suffering. But, but more than that, it, it's not just suffering that defines a true church. It's how we suffer is the mark of a true church. You know, the truly faithful, like Christ and like Stephen, they, they forgive their persecutors. Now, isn't it striking that Jesus spoke those words of forgiveness while the nails were still in there? He didn't kind of wait and go, well, when you remove the nails, I'll, you know, I, I will offer that kind of forgiveness. And likewise, Stephen didn't kind of go, when you stop throwing, then I'll offer forgiveness. No, no, no in the midst of pain that forgiveness is offered. You know, maybe that's going to be seen in the way you pray. You know, how do you pray 
for Christopher Hitchens, for Richard Dawkins, for the colleague who mocks you, for the friend who stopped inviting you to parties, for the family member who wrote you off all because of Jesus. How do you pray for them? I was really struck by the uh, Book of Common Prayers collect or prayer for this day, for St Stephen's Day. It says this, Lord Jesus Christ, grant that in all our sufferings it witness to your truth, that we may learn to look steadfastly to heaven and see by faith the glory that is to be revealed. And filled with the Holy Spirit, may learn to pray for our persecutors as Stephen, your first martyr, prayed for, all, for his murderers to you, blessed Jesus, where you stand at the right hand of God to aid all who suffer for you, our only mediator and advocate. I kind of go, is that my kind of prayer for the people who do me wrong? That's the prayer of one who's faithful to Christ till death. Always seeking good for those who do us evil. Yeah, that constant readiness to forgive our enemies, that is going to be the mark that Jesus wasn't simply a gift for Christmas but for life. See, God gave you his son. What are you going to do with the gift of Jesus this year? Will you be faithful? Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you so much for the way you gave up your son. We thank you that you spared nothing to buy us back and redeem us. Uh, we thank you for the joy and peace of Christmas time. We ask that you would help us to be faithful with that wonderful gift. Help us to be faithful in our actions. Help us to be faithful to you as you reveal yourself. Help us most of all, Father to be faithful to the very ends of our days. Help us look like Stephen to heaven and not here on this earth. Help us delight fully in the gift that you have given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.